Uh, today, I want to talk about expectations, when to use them and when to lose them, when to hold them and when to fold them, all right? Because uh, we all have expectations, don't we? Every single day we do. If you say well, you don't, believe me, you do. Um, parents have expectations for their children. Uh, teachers have expectations for their students, coaches for their players, um, churches for their pastors, and vice versa. Uh, if you're in an interview, they have expectations. You don't just walk in and they say, well, just do whatever you want when you're hired. Uh, if you're selling your house, they have expectations. As we've been trying to sell our house, one of the reports that keeps coming back to us is that people wish that our master bedroom was on the first floor. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I just can't make that happen, you know? But people have got expectations, and that's okay. That's, you know, they're looking for their preference there. An expectation is a mental picture of what should be in a person's mind. But how this expectation is expressed is the most important matter that we want to talk about today. It's so powerful that when done correctly, expectations can challenge and encourage us. But when done very poorly, expectations can actually overpower us and damage us. Uh, many of us know the pain of living under unrealistic expectations. That's why in premarital counseling, uh, whenever I meet with a couple, one of the first things we talk about is, what is your expectation of marriage and of your husband, and what is your expectation of marriage and your wife? Because a lot of times we bring in this baggage of what each other expects a marriage to look like. And many um, marriages have been broken because they haven't discussed that very issue. And so it's very important um, that, we, that we learn about this today. So today we have the opportunity to make a difference. We can learn from Scripture about how and when to use expectations and also when to lose the expectations. It's knowing the difference between the two that matters the most. So as I was preparing for this message this week, um, I thought back to my college days. Back in 2003 when I attended Indiana Wesleyan University, in the previous two years I was at a secular university living in a one-bedroom apartment with no rules. And when I got to Indiana Wesleyan, it was a Christian college. And they had some rules. And I was living in a dorm. And in, those, in that dorm, they had uh, these, I'll share with you some of the rules that they have. Curfew during the week was 11 o'clock p.m. There were separate dorms for the boys and for the girls. Girls were allowed in the dorms during certain times. And during those certain times, during those certain hours, all dorm rooms, all dorm room doors had to be opened. All right? And if you were sitting on the bed, all feet had to be touching the floor. That was one of the rules. Another rule was, especially for the guys, you had to clean the bathroom once a week. All right? I don't do that. I need to carry that over, don't I, honey? I do. I do. Now, while some of, some of the people dreaded these rules, I actually, I really appreciated these rules because I was a new believer that same year in 2003 is when I became a Christ follower, a devoted Christ follower, so when I got to this Christian university and they had some rules laid out, I actually appreciated that. I, I needed some of those guidelines to help me along. And, um, and today we're going to, my story somewhat resembles the story we're going to talk about, except for this is going to be a lot more dramatic here, in Acts chapter 15, because we're going to learn about um, some new Christians who are enjoying their new life in Jesus Christ until 
some, until, until they got to some mixed signals. They got two different sets of expectations from two sets of people. One, the Pharisees, and the other, the disciples. And so we're going to look at that in Acts chapter 15, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, but, but leading up to this, uh, Paul and Barnabas, who are going to be the two key figures in this, um, in this story here, uh, ministry was taken off for them. They were traveling different places, um, sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and things were happening. Uh, people were getting saved. People were becoming discipled. A lot of great things were happening. And one of those places was in Antioch. All right? And Antioch was the first place where what? We were first called Christians, right? Very good. And so this was one of their locations, and this is kind of what we're going to focus on here, the, the, the believers in Antioch. Now, now, not only now we see that, that, that uh, God has chosen the, the Jews, but also the, the ministry has spread to the Gentiles, the Gentiles, anyone who was not a Jew, okay? So we be us as well, all right? And so the, that the gospel is for everyone, that Jesus Christ is for all who believe in him. And so this message is spreading, and they're spreading through Paul and, and Barnabas as well, and they um, have spent some time in Antioch leading up to chapter 15, at least a year or so, and um, have really invested in these people. But then there's some that came from the Pharisee group, and they wanted to um, share their expectations upon these new believers. And here comes the second set of expectations. We see in verse 1 of chapter 15, it says this, Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers this, Unless you are, um, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So they're traveling back to Jerusalem. This would have been about a month's journey, um, some scholars believe, because it's about 250 miles on foot, Boy, I bet they would have loved email and Facebook today, right? They could have just shot the question, like got it within a couple seconds, and that would have been it. But now they had to travel all that way. And can you imagine the new believers in this point? I mean, it doesn't really tell what happened at this particular point in time here, but the new believers, as they're waiting to hear the answer to this question, because as far as they knew, it was by grace that they've been saved through faith. That no, we didn't have to keep doing extra works to earn our salvation. This in chapter 15 is the biggest meeting, the, the most important meeting ever recorded in human history. How do I know that? Because it deals with our salvation. If we don't get this question right, this could be some major, major problems. Because they're saying, you've got to be circumcised. You've got you to do all this stuff. You've got to learn all the hundreds and hundreds of laws that we've already made up. You've got to abide by all of them. You've got to do this in order to be saved. And so Paul and Barnabas are sent up to Jerusalem to, to have this meeting. It's the most important meeting ever, and they're talking about this topic. How is one to be saved? All right? And as they get there, it says in verse 5, then some of the believers, note that word believers there, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Believers. 
you know, some people in the church can be the harshest critics, right? And put the, the most burdens on people. And, and it's sad to see, but sometimes it happens. And sometimes it turns people off. And here, we see right here, the people from the Pharisees were doing this. They're saying, this is what you've got to do to be saved. Uh, they're also known as Judaizers at that time, okay? They believe you've got to be circumcised, um, and you've also got to keep the Mosaic Law, the hundreds of rules. Tradition, tradition, tradition. Tradition, don't break tradition, all right? But little did they know or, or must have forgotten that God changed the rules. Because God created a new covenant, didn't he? We see that in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. It says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. This new covenant was in Jesus Christ. Um, and even Paul picks up on this in Galatians 2.16. He says that, Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in, G in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. We talked about justification a couple weeks ago, didn't we? And so... Um, so they have this discussion here, and it's a big discussion. Peter gets involved in this. Paul and Barnabas get, in, get involved in this. And then James comes along and speaks um, uh, words of wisdom to everyone as he nails down this picture with Scripture found in the Old Testament. And he says this in verse um, 16 through 18. After this, and this is in the meeting, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. So evidently, yes, the Gentiles were all along into the, in this picture. And so James nails it shut with that, that uh, piece of Scripture and says, in my judgment, verse 19, therefore we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are returning to God. I mean, this would have been like the picture as they're waiting. So it may have been about a couple months before they arrived back with this letter with the answer to these new believers. Can you imagine what they might have felt like? In the letter itself, it said that, uh, that, they, were, that they were troubled, that they were disturbed. It's a strong word meaning to deeply upset, to perplex, or to create fear. I mean, they had this, these emotions going on, waiting for the answer to the biggest question of their life of how one must be saved. I mean, it's kind of like uh, as Duke won the championship this last uh, uh, couple of Sundays ago here, it, it would almost be like stripping the championship trophy away from him and saying, no, actually, I think the shot went in. You know, I, I think that Butler actually won that, and they should have won that. Um, <laughs> I'm still heartbroken over that. But, but it's almost like they just like, no, no, we're just going to take the trophy away from you. I'm sorry it didn't work out that way. I mean, this is what you're basically telling these new believers who are Gentiles in the area of Antioch. Um, you're not really saved. I'm sorry. You've got to also be this and this and this and this. You've got to add this and this and this and this. And by doing that, they created a, 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 these unrealistic expectations upon them that have really um, taken their toll upon them. Um, it, it's almost like Jesus... Uh, noted this in Luke eleven forty six. he said that you experts in the law woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them 
I think we more find rest in, in, what, in, in Jesus' words about himself where he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's like, what, what kind of people do we want to do when we set expectations on others? Do we want to be those type of people that, that burden people down to live under these unrealistic expectations or do we want to be those type of people um, that are going to help encourage and challenge and be like that? And so during this whole meeting, they, they, they come to this conclusion that, that they, they need to, to help these new believers at least focus on four things. That's it. Just focus on four things. So they send this letter back with Paul and Barnabas and two other guys that are going to also um, um, be crucial in this, in this whole development here. They come back to the Gentile believers in Antioch. They give this letter here, hand-delivered, all right, not by email or anything else. And they say this, this is the letter here. This is huge. And this is what we can learn today from, from these expectations. It says in verse 24, We have heard that some, of, um, some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them with you to our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas, and that's not the Judas that, remember, he's already gone by this point, new Judas, and Silas to, to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And so here, here are the things that they want them to focus on. You're to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, because people were selling food that was sacrificed to idols at the time. Of course, the food was left over because idols couldn't eat it, right? Because they're false gods. All right. I mean, duh. And from blood and from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality, you will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. That's it. Just say no to these four things. Let's just start off with that. It's kind of like a, a friend of mine that had, had come to know the Lord Jesus a couple years ago. And he was averaging a, a six-pack of beer a day. I mean, you could say he was you know, a little tipsy by the time he was done. And, but when he became a new believer and he started asking me about these questions, we started talking about what the Word of God talks about and what it talks about alcohol and all things like that. Um, uh, eventually, uh, he just kind of started cutting down a beer a week. And eventually, he did, now he doesn't even drink at all. I mean, it's kind of like that. You just start with, hey, don't overburden something. Hey, it, it may be hard for you to just go cold turkey right off the bat, all right? When we come to Christ, it does not mean that we, are, that we um, have to be perfect, and I think that's a misunderstanding. Christ meets us where we're at, and he keeps working on us, working on us, working on us. He's given us the Holy Spirit. Keeps, um, you know, some things, um, um, like I had, a, I had a bad potty mouth when I, when I was an unbeliever, and when I, when I did um, come to know Christ, uh, that actually just, just went away. I mean, it was pretty amazing. I, I, I don't just... It, I, I, would, I would so easily just want to say a cuss word. I don't know if it's because I was an athlete or what. But, um, but it just kind of went away. Other things, though, took time. And so in this picture here, we're seeing that the grace is being poured out upon these new believers. The disciples are like, hey, you know what? Focus on these things right now. Just focus on these four things. And so that's what they were to do. All right? Um, basically, no idolatry, no sexual immorality, no murder, eating of the blood, no, no eating meat from strangled animals. And so by the end of this letter here, we get to see the response, which is just priceless, because it says the men, in verse 30, 
were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. See, expectations can be challenging and encouraging at the same time. It doesn't have to be overpowering and burdening and, and, um, and uh, causing damage to, to somebody. It says, Then uh, Judas and Silas, verse 32, who themselves were prophets and, and said much to encourage and, and strengthen um, the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained at Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. They didn't just leave them hanging. They were there. They were strengthening the believers um, in Antioch and, and helping them to uh, with these expectations that they placed on them. All right? So... Um, so what can we learn from this, uh, uh, this, this story here right off the bat? One thing is that, that uh, expectations are fragile, <laughs> and they need to be handled with care. They need to be handled with care. So how do we do this? Let's talk about um, when to lose the expectations. All right, let's start with that. When to lose the expectations. Um, number one, that would be when it hinders God's work. Lose the expectations. When it hinders God's work. As we see here, these Pharisees were hindering God's work. And, um, and so at that point, the disciples, they had to meet about it and say, let's just throw this out because it's not doing us any good, or anybody any good. So number two, uh, when to lose the expectations is, is when promoting a selfish agenda. Um, I don't know how many times I've seen this with young kids and their parents where the parent will try to live out their dream through their child. You ever seen that? I remember this uh, one kid that was a baseball pitcher, and his dad always had dreams of making it to the big leagues. Was never good enough, didn't make it. So he's trying to live through his son. And I've seen his son play. He was good, but <laughs> not that good. You know what I mean? And it's almost like they kept that at the forefront every single day. It was all about baseball, 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 baseball. And this kid's grades were suffering. And he had better chance of making it with his education than he did making it in baseball. And you just see this time and time again. What, what is this? It's, a, it's, a, it's selfish. It's a selfish agenda. You've got to drop it. If you, if you feel like you're just doing it to benefit yourself as you're placing expectations on someone else, and you're not actually encouraging them and challenging them in such a way that's going to benefit them, but yourself, you need to drop it. That's not godly. That's not what we need to do here. So lose the expectation there. Now, when should we use the expectations? Only after consulting the Lord and other godly people. Remember, it's fragile. We must seek wisdom in this. And that's why they went up and met with the other believers, the other elders, so that they could talk about this huge discussion of what was going on. How does a person get say, yes, it is um, by grace through faith. Yes, that's what it is. It's not through adding these other things. And it said in, 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 even in uh, the letter that they sent him, that it said that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Right? Consulting with the Lord and other godly people, that's when we should use expectations. And how should we use these expect- expectations? I'll give you three things real quick here. One is to keep it realistic. All right? Challenging and encouraging. It would be like if I were to go to my three-year-old daughter and after dinner say, I want you to clean up the dishes and wash them and put them in the, in the sink, you know. That's a little unrealistic, isn't it? 
But if I were to tell my three-year-old child, uh, pick up some of the toys that you just got, got out before you go to bed, that's more realistic. It's still challenging, encouraging, but is realistic. Take that on a bigger scale onto whatever situation you're facing right now. Keep it realistic. Second thing is keep it simple. They gave them four things, right? Um, instead of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws that, and, and rules that uh, the Pharisees were trying to give them, they gave them four things to focus on. Just four things. Just focus on these four things, and then we'll increase. We'll keep working on it. That's discipleship at its best right there. It's saying, let, let's, let's, let's continue to grow. This is, a, this is a process here. This isn't all at once, all right? It's going to be Jesus right off the bat, okay? It's a process of, of growing in your, in your spiritual maturity. So keep it realistic. Keep, keep it simple. And here's one that we um, tend to overlook. It's so simple. Verbally express your expectations, okay? How many times have you been in a situation where you're expecting somebody to do something and they don't do it and you get frustrated and mad, but they don't know what you're expecting? It would be like if I were to walk into your house and you have an expectation of me to take off my shoes when I walk in. And some of you have been there before. And I track in mud all through your nice, clean carpet. And you're just fuming, but you're just gritting your teeth and smiling. You're just gritting your teeth and smiling, but the whole time you're thinking, oh, I want to strangle you, right? Because your expectation is that you should have dropped off your shoes off the door. But how was I to ever know that? You have got to be able to verbalize that to me. Verbalize your expectations. This would cut down a lot in our marriages too, wouldn't it? It would cut down a lot in our marriages. We verbalize our expectations. We do it in such a way that's a godly manner. Um, it would do it in a, in a way that, uh, that if you're an employer speaking to your employee or vice versa. I mean, these are important things that you've got to talk about here. So keep it realistic. Uh, keep it simple. Verbally, verbally express your expectations. Um, that's when you need to use the expectations there. So consider how you use your expectations on others. Is it damaging or is it encouraging? Is it harmful or is it helpful? Okay, because um, you can imagine what it would be like to have less frustration and more inspiration uh, when you start to see people through the lens of Christ. When you start to gain the perspective of how Jesus would, would um, place his expectations on us, then it will open up some new opportunities for you to view and view people differently through a different lens. And so um, my prayer for you today is, is, that, uh, is that, you know, as, as we go out and live our lives, that, that we would learn to differentiate between when to use expectations, when not to use expectations, and when to lower expectations, when to raise um, expectations. We're really seeking godly wisdom and all that through the Holy Spirit. Okay? So if you would close your eyes at this time. Lord Jesus, we are um, so grateful, for, Father, for, uh, for what you have done for us, for giving us new life and freedom. And I, I pray, Father, that we use that freedom um, in order to glorify you and not um, to, to abuse anything that, that, uh, that you have placed in our hands of relationships and, and whatnot, Lord. May we, we treat everyone, Lord, as uh, you would, as you've called us to, to treat one another, Lord, 
that if, if we're going to place expectations on somebody, Lord, that we look at ourselves, that we, would I want to do that to myself? And um, I just pray, Father God, that as we learn about through the story of these new believers in, in the book of, or in the chapter, or in the, um, the, the, the area of Antioch there, Lord, that, uh, that we may see that, that, that we can, it's a process and that we can start off slow and that we can um, help and be encouragers of one another instead of people that are burdening down people with, with unrealistic expectations. So thank you, Father God, for your word this morning. And uh, may we just take it and apply it to our life and, and continue to grow in you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.